0: Man, good morning. Glad you guys are here today. I'm so excited about this word. If you have your Bible with you, you can flip open to uh, 2 Timothy. We're going to be in chapter 4. I'm going to lay this over here because I'm ADD and that's going to bug me the whole time. So just, it's red and white and gets my attention. I don't want to look at that. <laughs> um, but man, good morning. So glad to be here. I'm so glad to continue this um, this series that we've been in the past few weeks called Focus. Um of, really enjoyed this. And and to be honest, I really needed this. I think um, if you've been around, you know the story and I'm just going to rehash it one more time. And if not, then hey, good day to be here, right? But um, this is kind of a piggyback series off of our first series of the year, which was um, Come Back, or You Can Come Back was the idea. And uh, that come out of kind of like last year, 2019, for some of us was kind of a rough year Um, spiritually. I know for uh, me and some others of you that I had that conversation with, we just didn't really have a year that was like marked by, man, I just feel really close to God this year. And um, as I was praying, going into the new year, it was like, um, God, what would you want to say? And and what he wanted to say was um, you can come back, that we can all come back, that we don't have to be far away, that there's nothing keeping us there, that Jesus stepped down um, from heaven to earth and he made a way that we can, in fact, be close to God. And and we don't have to be beaten down by sin and shame and guilt. We don't have to stay far away. We We can step into the presence of God. And that that whole idea was just kind of—I um, don't know—maybe you're like, "Well, duh, Brad." But like, maybe um, for you it wasn't a big deal, but for me it really was. Um, I let um, my brain tell me a lot of times that I have to be here because of what I've, you know, done or thought or not done, and that's just not reality. Uh, we can all come back, and I believe that. Man, what an amazing year it would be if we would all just um, have this year marked in our life by a year of coming back or coming closer what's amazing is when, when you bring out the gospel, it's never just for, like, people sitting in a building, right? Um, the gospel, is, it's about, <laughs> by definition, other people. And it's it's the good news for everybody as the angels came uh, singing about. And, man, I just believe this year doesn't have to be a year that, like, church people get better at being church people, but a year that, like, all people um, can take a step towards God and in our community and in, in the world, and uh, we can have a part in that. And, uh, it's like. I'm not going to get into the details of that this morning, but just the reality of it is we can all come close today. Jesus made a way that everybody could step into the presence of God, and I believe that. Uh, but for us sitting in the room today, what we don't want to do is get back in that tide, back in that cycle of close and far and close and far. And if you've been around for very long, you kind of probably know what I'm talking about. So I was praying, God, where do you, where do you go from here? Like, okay, we can come back. We want to stay there. <laughs> and it was this idea that we need to, to focus that if we're going to stay here, we have to focus on some things, and we've kind of moved through that the past few weeks, and, and this is, I believe, the last message in the series, and it's in 2 Timothy 4, and I know maybe for a lot of you, you've heard these um, verses before, but I'm just praying that God would give us grace this morning to hear it, um, not with our ears, but with our hearts. Um, and. Um, I'm just excited about it. But Second Timothy is one of two letters written to uh, a guy named, guess what, Timothy, um, from a guy named Paul, um, which is amazing. Paul wrote a lot of the books in the New Testament that we read kind of a week in and week out, and these books usually have to deal with how do you live out your faith. They're written to specific churches, groups of people that are uh, like us, that would say we have faith in Jesus, that we're saved, and Um, have a relationship with him. And and what it does through these books is it it tells us, like, what does that mean for our life? How do we connect that belief in life? How do we live out that faith? But this letter is a little different, and it's not written to a church or a group of people, but it's written to one person, and that person is Timothy. It's one of two letters that we have written to um, Timothy by Paul. And maybe you don't know much about Timothy, but Timothy was um, kind of Paul's... um, um, companion. He, he was a guy that Paul uh, was responsible for discipling a lot of. He, he was somebody that Paul um, calls a son in the faith. He, he was someone that Paul, I believe, had a, a relationship with. He was, he was really good friends with this guy, that they, that they loved each other and they were together and they did ministry together and life together. And, um, and, and this letter is written to him kind of at the end of Paul's life. Actually, this is the last letter that Paul uh, wrote before he died it's amazing because it brings like a weight, right? Like if you're going to write a letter to someone and you know, it's the last thing you're ever going to say to this person, probably like you're not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about stuff that doesn't really matter and reminiscing. Like I'm going to put the important stuff in in this letter. And that's what we see Paul do. He's not, he's not just, Hey, Timothy, it was really cool doing some ministry with you, brother. Hope to see you in heaven. Paul, right? Like it's like, um, this is, this is an important thing That we're talking about this morning and there's a weight to it because this is the last thing that Paul would ever write to to Timothy or really that we know of to anybody. And and he he writes in chapter 4 to Timothy and he he says, Before God and Christ Jesus, um, who is going to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom, I solemnly charge you. He writes this charge and a charge, did we do a definition for charge? I can't remember. Maybe a charge is to impose a task or responsibility on someone or something or to command or instruct, to exhort, kind of encourage, uh, with, with authority. So this idea of a charge is—he's—he's he's laying a task on the back of Timothy. He's giving him something to do. He's like, from this point forward, I have some marching orders for you. This is something that—that's that's, got to happen. This is—I'm leaving this place. I'm about to die. He's going to write that in just a second. And I'm—I'm I'm leaving. I'm going to heaven. I'm not going to be around. And I just want to want to give you something before I leave this place. And this is that charge. I solemnly or honestly or um, sincerely charge you or lay this burden on your back. This is the seriousness of, uh, of this part of the whole letter serious, but it's specifically this part. But he doesn't just say, hey, I charge you or I have something for you to do, or here's the marching orders. He, he begins to um, show the seriousness of these things at the, at the very beginning. He says, before God, I'm charging you before God. You know, the guy who you know, created everything, God the Father, the one who you know sits on the throne, it's his. <laughs> um, I'm charging you before that guy, so I'm not, Paul, going to be around to make sure you carry this thing out, but this is God's charge. Charge you before God and, by the way, Christ Jesus, you know, Savior died for us. We believe in him for eternity, you know, that guy. um, Charge you before him, laying this burden on your back before him. I'm Paul, not going to be around, but you're not accountable to Paul. You're accountable to Christ here. See the weight that he continues to lay on it. He says, who is going to, by the way, Christ, going to judge the living and the dead. He's your judge, whether you're here or you're in heaven. He's in charge. This is before him. And by his appearing, he just throws in, by the way, he's coming back, and his kingdom, it's his kingdom, he's in charge, he's the boss, right? This is the weight of this charge. It's not accountable to Paul or some preacher or some church or some ministry or something that I agreed to or some covenant or some contract. He says, hey, this is God's charge. God laid this on me and I'm turning it over to you. Can you imagine like Paul's about to die and and he's been so invested in the kingdom of God. He's been writing letters to churches and starting churches and building churches. And he's seen people come to know Christ and he's equipped people uh, to come in and and to continue that work. And he spent so much time pouring into Timothy and he knows like, this is the end. I'm about to die. But this work is more important than Paul. This work is more important than, than the churches that I started. This work is more important than one man, one person one organization. This is an important work. And when I die, the work can't quit. So it's like Timothy, man, I've poured into you and, and, and I'm, I'm given this to you. It's a gift, but it's a heavy gift. Can you imagine like here's Paul who wrote like a lot of the New Testament and he comes up to you and he's like, I just want you to know I trust you so much that I'm going to quit doing this and I'm, I'm going to give it to you. That, that'd be kind of like blown away, right? Like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe that Paul is laying this on me like the mega church plus, right? Like that, that's a big responsibility. And then on top of that, here's Paul going, but I want you to know it isn't about Paul and it isn't about Timothy this burden is, is bigger than just a few people. This mission, this task is greater than just something I've come up with in my heart. This is from heaven. And as we get here, maybe nobody else ever reads Second Timothy. I don't think Paul thought they were just going to collect all of his letters and shove them in a book. And we were going to read them like a couple thousand years later. Probably not in the plan in his brain. But maybe he was thinking if nobody else ever reads this Timothy, it would be really easy just to wad it up and throw it away on some days. Nobody's going to know, right? But I want you to know that it's, I'm going to be gone, but God knows. And Jesus knows, and I'm just the conduit today that's given you the mission that they've given you. I'm just calling you out into what they called you into. And he says, this is the weight of the task. This is the charge. These are the marching orders. This is what he says. And then we look at that and we're like, okay, now, right? Like if you didn't read ahead, you probably already read ahead. Maybe you already read ahead. But if we didn't look at that, like what would we put in that place? Like what's the important thing that he's going to give him? That we would fill it in with all the things that like we think are important, right? Like Timothy, make sure you don't skip church. You got to go every week, man. You got to go every week. You got to be there every week. Make sure you go every week. And he's like, that's not there. Did you read that? That's not there. Make sure, Timothy, you only listen to K-Love. Like, that's the thing you got to listen to. Don't listen to anything else. Like, it's just, it's about, you know, the 50-day challenge or whatever they do. I don't remember what it is. Yeah, 30-day. Yeah, I picked a number. It was close, right? Only 20 off. But it's not about some challenge about what music you listen to. It's not about how you dress. It's not about how you act even. There's no thing about, like, a be moral in there. Only wear those top shoes. Make sure that you only have a hair this length. Like, none of that. It's like, this is the thing that God is most concerned with in your life. And it's not, I went to church and I read the Bible today and I sang some songs and I dressed the right way and I didn't cuss anybody at the red light. Like, I'm not saying we should not participate in all those things. I'm just saying it's probably down here on the list and the thing that God's most concerned with is about to be the thing that he lists. It's crazy, and it's mind-blowing, and maybe you never thought of it. This is what God is most concerned with. Here's the charge. Proclaim the message. It's simple, right? It's not a 55-mile-long list. He's like, number one priority in the kingdom of heaven in your life is this, that you would proclaim the message. You just tell the message. Now, the message is what? The message is the gospel, the good news. Paul looks at Timothy and he says, this is the mission that God's given me. And I want you to know today he's given it to you. He's laying it on your back. This is the burden for you. This is what God has for you. This is the number one priority of God in your life that you would proclaim the message, that you would share the gospel, that you'd share the good news. right? Paul's last words to Timothy, just so we don't think we're out of this because it's a letter to Timothy, echo Jesus' last words to the disciples. Go make disciples. Jesus adds, baptize them. Paul didn't throw that in. He didn't want to get us too confused with the details and teaching them like that's the same, right? Proclaim the message. That's that's the burden. That's the task. That's the thing in, in God's economy that he says is most important. And he lays this on the back of Timothy, just like Jesus, by the way, laid it on the back of his disciples. The last little line there was teaching them everything I've commanded you. And the last command was what? To go make disciples. So you're caught in that loop. I just want you to know today. And we look at that and we're like, nope, can't do it, not gifted with it, and blah, 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 all the excuses, all the things, all the reasons why we can't do it, but it doesn't negate the command, does it? Now, here's what's crazy. If this is the last thing he says to Timothy before he goes and he dies, and it's the last thing Jesus says to the disciples before he, like, goes back into heaven, it's probably an important thing for, like, all the people that believe in Jesus, right? (coughs) I'm going to just wait on, I want to, I want an audible yes today. It's not confusing, right? Like it's just, it's black and white. It's on the paper. It's over and over and over and over again. It's not some random instance that God writes about somewhere at some point in time. It's an important thing in the economy of heaven. Now this is where I, I want to make the comment, but it's the least important thing that I've seen at the church. That's where I want to throw in. It's the least important thing to most people that follow Jesus. I don't know that that's true. I think in our hearts we know people need to know Jesus. But I think we think it's someone else's responsibility. And Paul lays it squarely on the back of Timothy. This is not somebody else's job. What God wants for you is that you would proclaim the message. He goes on and he explains because we think it should be easy. And if it's not easy, it's not God. He says, persist in it, whether convenient or not. Persist. I think we have that one. Do we have persist? Persist is just to continue firmly or obstinately in an opinion or a course of action in spite of difficulty, opposition, or failure. Just leave that up there for a second because I want you to just let those last three words sink in. Difficulty, opposition, or failure. In, I love this word because it's like endure. There's struggle just in the word. You can't have the word if it doesn't have anything to do with struggle. Like, you don't have to persist in something that's not difficult. Like if it's, if there's going to be no difficulty, you're not persisting. You're you're just doing the thing, right? It's easy. If there's no opposition, you don't have to persist in it. If there's no failure, you don't have to persist in it. So what he's saying to Timothy is, Hey, uh, I want you to know it's going to be hard. Share the gospel. It's not going to be fun all the time. It's going to be hard. There's going to be some struggle in that share the gospel. People are going to oppose you. Now, Paul's writing this, by the way, it, because, not because he's about to die of natural causes in his sleep, but he's about to be killed. He knows about opposition to the gospel. And he's writing, hey, Timothy, I know you're about to hear a horrible story about how I died. And that's going to maybe shake your world on the whole share of the gospel thing. Do it anyway. Maybe the same thing will happen to you. Maybe they're going to throw you in jail. Maybe they're going to stone you. Maybe they're going to hang you upside down. Maybe, maybe they're going to burn you to death. I don't, I don't really know how it's going to work out for you, but at times it's not going to work out for you. And they may even kill you, but do it. And sometimes you're going to fail. Sometimes people are just going to flat out reject it. Amazing, right? He, he says, share the gospel even though people don't care. Even though people are going to say no. Even though people uh, don't want to hear it. You're going to fail. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that a crazy thought? Because we don't share the gospel. Why? Because we might fail. You're already failing if you're not sharing the gospel we don't share the gospel because it may be difficult, right? Because maybe we're not gifted in that way. I'm just not a people person. I don't talk to people. I don't, I don't really know how to talk to people. That's not really up to you. Is it just up to God? He'll get it out. It's going to be difficult. It's not an excuse. There are going to be people that don't like you because you share the gospel, right? I think the term holy roller and Bible thumper were invented by people who just didn't want to hear the gospel. And the church was like, you're right. I should listen to you. I shouldn't be a Bible thumper. I shouldn't be a holy roller. Ignore what God said. I know know Jesus, you know, the guy who died for me and trust him for eternity. I know he said to make disciples, but you're right. You know, I I should listen to to my coworker um, who obviously knows more than Jesus. Or my neighbor or aunt, uncle, mom, dad, brother, sister. We're going to get a whole lot of commands, but we have to figure out whose commands we're going to follow. And he writes here and he says, priority number one, gospel message. It's not going to be fun always. You're not always going to succeed and people aren't going to want to hear from you. But it shouldn't stop you. Persist in it, continue in it, struggle forward in it, whether convenient or not. And it usually isn't. Usually not a convenient thing to share the gospel. If it was, we would do it. But it shouldn't keep us from it, is what he's saying. Priority number two, he says, second thing, rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. This is the second thing that he says to him, not... After you share the gospel, go to church, and after you go, you know, be moral. You just rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. This is what he says to him. Now, I know some of us, like, are really good at one of the three of these. Um, But he didn't call anybody to one of the three of them. He called them to all. Right, so rebuke is a word. Do we have rebuke? I think we do. No, not rebuke. We have correct, but not rebuke. Okay. So rebuke is basically a word that means to call out something that's not right. When you, when you rebuke something, you just say, Hey, that's, that's not correct. And there's a place for that in the church. I want you to know, right? You could just aim in that there's a place for that in the church. Like there are things that are not right at times in the church newsflash. There's things that people do, things people say, things people, ways people act. There's those things in the church. And God puts a place in his word where at least Timothy, right? But there's other verses. Can call out those things. Now, I'll be honest. This is not a public calling out of those things, right? We try to do it the wrong way a couple times because we want to get up here and pretend like we don't have issues and struggles and problems. And want to be like, hey, uh, this person... Did all these things. Or we like like to get in the prayer message group and we're like, hey, did you know? Yeah, pray for them. That's gossip disguised as a prayer quest, by the way. Um, not actually a prayer quest. The rebuke, I think he's talking about here, is if there's like an issue, you see something going on in someone's life that's dangerous or harmful to them in their relationship with God, that you would go to that person, right? Not go to every person, but go to that person, and you would just say to them, hey, um, I'm worried about you. Here's why. Not, hey, you jerk. Um, I just want you to know that that you're a sinner. And if you don't get your ways right, you're going to hell. That's not rebuke that he's talking about here. Uh, But just this conversation of, hey, I I see that there is an issue. And this issue is is harmful to your relationship with God. And I just, I want you to know, like, I'm praying for you. I, I believe that you can come up out of this. And I'm praying for you. I love you. Nothing about what you do is changing that. I love you. I'm with you. I'm for you. But I just want you to be where you need to be with God. I think that's more biblical rebuking than, hey, sinner. um, Because I don't really think that's rebuking. That's just being a jerk. Some of us, I think, think we're professional rebukers. Like that's our spiritual gift, right? (laughs) That's called being a complainer. Rebuking is not about expressing your opinion, right? Right. I don't like this or I like this. Opinion doesn't matter. That's not part of rebuking. You you don't call out stuff you don't like. You call out stuff that God doesn't like. But I love that he ties these three things together. It's not a buffet. You don't get to either rebuke or correct or encourage. Encourage. It's all three. It's a process. See, until I can correct anything, we have to have an agreement that there's something that is not correct. You can't fix something that nobody recognizes is broken, right? Like if there's something going on and I won't just agree with that basic fact, hey, God says this is harmful to me. I cannot move on to step two. And sometimes it just takes like, yeah, we're going to get mad. If I walk up to Kendall right now and I'm like, hey, man, you're doing this thing. I don't have anything to say to you about a thing that you're doing, so don't get weird. Uh, but you're doing this thing, and I want you to know that it's harmful for you, and I'm praying for you. He may get mad at me. I'm, I'm the type that at first I'm, I'm going to get aggravated at you. I'm going to be like, God, you're so nosy. Why are you in my life? You're in my business. You know, like, get out of my business. I'm, I'm, that, I'm that guy. I don't like it. But it doesn't make you wrong. And if you do it in the right way, I will come around to, you know what, they're right. If you do it out of love, I will come around to, you know what, they're right. This is not good for me. That's why it's important how you do things. It's not always about being right. It's about doing it the right way. But if I just leave it there, I haven't done anything, have I? So he says, rebuke, correct, and encourage. Correct is a word. We have this one, right? Correct is to put right an error or a fault. That I'm not just pointing out a problem. I'm not a problem identifier in somebody's life. My spiritual gift is not to just walk around and be like, you're wrong, you're wrong, and you're wrong, and you're wrong, and you're wrong, and you're wrong. Again, that's called being a jerk. Um, But it's to do the hard work at that point in time of restoration. Not only is there something that I see that's hazardous in your life, And I'm going to help. Hopefully you see that. And if you don't, I'm just going to pray for you until you do. But I'm going to be there with you as you walk through it. I'm going to say that again because this is the part we don't like because it requires something of us. Not only am I going to point out something that's harmful to your relationship with God. I'm going to be there and I'm going to help you walk through it. I'm not just dropping the bomb and walking away. I'm not just trying to screw up your life. I'm trying to, I'm trying to call out something that, that is hazardous to your relationship with God. And then I'm going to be with you. I'm going to have community with you. I'm going to love you even when you're struggling. That's, that's what he's calling him to. To walk with him through that. And then he says to encourage. Now encourage is a word that means to give support or confidence or hope to someone. As they struggle through this, because I'll just be honest with you, and, and you can be honest with yourself today, you don't just come out of sin day one usually. You don't just come out of issues day one usually. It's not like I come down here, I pray a prayer, and I don't struggle with it anymore. I've heard of miraculous things like that happening, but I've heard of a lot more that have struggled through. And as we stay with that person and we help them walk through it, what he's saying to Timothy here is you've got to be their cheerleader on the way through. Man, you and God, you got this. You can come out of this. You can get out of this. God's working in you. I can see a change in you. I can see God is doing something. And you just got to keep pressing forward. That's That's what he's calling him to. We're not just dropping the gospel in people's life and walking away. That's not the evangelism arm that Jesus called out, is it? Hey, go make disciples. The end. That's not Matthew 28. Go make disciples. Jesus throws in baptizing. Paul just skips that all together. But what is to rebuke and correct and encourage? That's to teach somebody. We, we think teaching in the church is I'm going to get up and, and do this thing from the stage, and then everybody's going to have it all together, and they're going to walk away because they said some prayer and it touched their heart. This, this is a message. This is the calling out. There's more to it than that. Teaching discipleship is that thing where not only do we identify issues, but then we walk with people through issues. That's that's what he's saying here to Timothy. Man, it's not about just dropping the gospel and running off to Ephesus and dropping the gospel and running off to Galatia. It's about getting invested in people's lives and walking with them through the hard stuff. Rebuke, correct, and encourage. It's it's an all three thing. If you're not going to do one, don't do the other two. Never open your mouth to rebuke if you're not willing to walk somebody out of it. Never open your mouth to encourage if you're not willing to actually help somebody through a struggle or maybe even call out a struggle. It's not a buffet. To encourage without rebuke and correct is maybe to lead somebody down the wrong path. And to rebuke without correcting and encouraging is just to be a jerk and he looks at timothy and he's like man you got to do all three of these things he says this is why for a time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine it's just sound belief teaching they're they're not going to hold to the fundamental and foundational truths of the word of god that's coming is what he's saying now, I don't know at this point in time if he's so much writing to Timothy or he's writing to us today. He's looking into the future, and maybe this is a thing that was true in Timothy's time. I see a lot of things that I see in the church today that are very true about Pharisees and Sadducees in, in, the, Old Test- or in the New Testament and even the Old Testament. So I don't know if he's speaking directly to Timothy or maybe he's speaking to us today and he's saying, hey, there's going to be a time when people don't want to hear foundational truth, fundamental belief. That's, that's going to be a thing. And I'll just say today, truth, like the, the culture is at war with what truth even is today. Yeah. Like if there is a moment that this scripture is true, it's today. And what's amazing is it's true today in the church. Like we want to be like, ah, God didn't really mean that. I don't want to rip my Bible, but I thought about it. We don't really mean that. God didn't really say that wasn't to us, that was to other people. We want to pick and choose. We want to turn the buffet the Bible into a buffet. The truth of God's word is under attack. Yes. We we want to hold to parts of it that we like and leave out parts that we don't. Like yes. if this verse was ever true, I can vouch for it today. It may have been true 2000 years ago, but it is true right now in this moment. He says the time's coming when people, they don't want to hear that. But according to their own desires, speaking about the church here, not lost people, according to their own desires, they will accumulate teachers for themselves because they have an itching ear to hear something new. How you know he's talking about the church? Because they want Teachers. This is not, I'm out there doing what lost people do. Lost people do what lost people do. Get off their back. They're going to act like lost people because they are. If you're concerned about it, the gospel is the tool. But he's writing this about the church and he's like, man, there is going to be a time when in the church we debate over foundational truths of the word of God. And people, they're, they're not going to leave teaching. They're going to crave teaching. They're going to look for more teachers and more. They're going to pile teachers on top of teachers because their ears are burning. They want to hear something. What new? If you hear something new, there's probably an issue. People are just coming up with stuff that nobody's ever said before. 2000 years later out of the same book, there's probably an issue. He says, this is what people are going to do. And I ask you, like, when has there been a time in in our history where there has been more access to more spiritual things than today? I can pull out my phone and pull up podcasts from anywhere on the planet. I can watch messages from any church. I can today get on Amazon and order 17 bazillion Christian lifestyle books and find Christian cookbooks. What is a Christian cookbook? This is the blessed chicken. Right? What is that? We have more access to those things than we ever had before. And I'm not saying that's bad. There's some great things. I, I read books from preachers that I know and I trust that are standing on biblical truths. But, man, I'll be honest with you. YouTube is a dangerous place for Christians that don't know the word of God. Don't know the word of God and we get on there and we just click on some message and we believe it because it's coming from a pastor. Maybe that has a big following. And you're hearing something you've never heard before. Maybe there's a reason. Foundational truth is foundational truth. It was foundational 2,000 years ago and it hasn't shifted, right? It's still the bedrock stuff. He's like, there's going to be a church that, man, they just crave new stuff. they just want to hear something new. It's not setting him up for this is going to be a great experience, is it? It's just trying to, hey, go share the gospel. People don't want to hear it. Go share the gospel. Share foundational truth. People don't care about that anymore. Do it anyway. You see what he's setting up here? You're going to, you're going to fail. People aren't going to care. It doesn't change the mission from God. they will turn away from hearing the truth and turn aside to myths. Now, the myths here is not like Hercules and Hera. The myths here is it'll sound Christian, but it lacks Christ. There's no biblical foundation to it. It sounds like a good spiritual church thing, but it's not grounded in truth. And I'll give you an example of this because I heard it this week. I didn't know it was a thing, but there are several big churches with large followings that teach that Jesus was just a man. They call themselves Christian churches. They say that people you know, believe and get saved, but, but Jesus was just a man in their beliefs. And they use Philippians 2 to do that. They say when he emptied himself, he emptied himself of his deity, that he was just a man like us. When, and what they do is they, they, they teach that because what they're trying to get to, they have an agenda or an objective is we're in the flesh and we're people and we're screwed up just like Jesus because that's what you're putting on him at that point in time. And he did miracles so we can do miracles. That's, that's the teaching that we're trying to get to. And I'm not against miracles. I think, it's the, I think the Bible talks about it. But I'm not going to sacrifice the deity, deity of Jesus so that I can convince myself that I can do one. Right. Right. But it's taught. And it's taught by people that, like, we would know their names if I listed them. What is that? It's a, it's a myth. It's a fairy tale. It sounds Christian, but it's not. That's why it's dangerous just to click on anything that is on a link if you don't know the Word of God. And he writes this to him. They will turn away from hearing the truth and they will turn aside to myths. But as for you, don't worry about them, right? Keep a clear head or stay focused above everything. Above all that noise, endure hardship. It's going to be hard. Keep going. I love the word endure. Struggle forward. It's going to be hard. Keep going. Do the work of an evangelist. He goes right back to the gospel and fulfill your ministry. This is what he writes to him. You're like, why do you like that? It's depressing because it's real. It is hard to do what God has called you to do. It is not hard to go to church. Sorry if that was your greatest accomplishment this morning. I woke up. It's not hard. It's not hard to come here. Right? Like you wake up for work literally earlier than you wake up to come here, most people. It's not hard. You convinced yourself it's hard because on a different day, it's not hard. It's not hard to come to church. God did not die on the cross so you could just come to church. That's not the deal. It's not hard to listen to Christian music. We have pretty good Christian music. We have pretty bad Christian music, but there's pretty good country music and pretty bad country music. Like it's the same as everything else, right? It's not hard. You can find something you like. We have Christian rap. We have Christian screaming stuff. I don't know what it's called, John. We have Christian metal. That's the one. We have red, whoever they are. Like we have all those things. It's not hard to listen to. There's something for you. Jesus did not die on the cross so you could listen to Christian music. He died on the cross and he called you into a relationship with him. That's hard. Because you're going to have to invest in a relationship just like you would with anybody else. You don't magically have a relationship with somebody that you wave high to at work on Monday. That's kind of what church is. Hey Jesus, see you next week. You have a relationship with people you learn about and you let learn about you, that you talk to. That's what Jesus has invited us into. He's like, man, you can have a relationship with God. It's not going to be easy every day. You're going to read the word of God. and You're going to be like, what in the world did that just say? And you have to pick it up the next day and read it again. And you may still be like, what in the world did that just say? And you may pick it up another day and read it again and be like, I don't know what that just said. You may struggle through that for a year or 12 years or a thousand years, but you're never going to learn about God unless you get in God's word. You're never gonna have a relationship with God outside of His Word. You're not gonna do it. You're gonna actually have to talk to somebody that you're not gonna physically hear talk back to you. That's hard. Prayer is hard. That's why people don't do it. That's why we do this. Hey God, thanks for this food. You're awesome. Amen. It's not a relationship. That's a drive-through. I want a cheeseburger. Prayer is hard. You have to struggle through prayer sometimes. You're never going to have a relationship with God, like an intimate relationship with God, unless you talk to God and you allow God to speak to you. Sometimes in prayer, you just have to sit and listen. God, I'm going to shut up now, quit reading you my list of wants, and I'm just going to be here in the quiet until you decide to talk to me. And you meet him there long enough, and he'll do it. It's not easy. It's not easy to have a relationship with God. Jesus made the way. He opened the door. He said we could come in. He did everything he could do on his end. And we won't pick up a book and read it every once in a while. And we won't close our eyes and just talk to the creator of the universe. It's kind of crazy. But you're never going to have a relationship with God just showing up in a building once a week. It's not going to happen. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. This is real. It is hard to follow God. There's commandments in here that I don't like. Can I just be honest with you? Mm -hmm. There's things that God says that I'm like, I kind of wish you wouldn't have said that. I don't don't really like that. I don't really really know. But I've yet to breathe out a star. Don't know what it feels like. Don't know what it looks like. And I feel like I really can't argue until I can figure that out. When I create my own universe, I can make the rules in that universe. But until then, I better just abide by the rules of the guy who created it, whether I like them or not, whether they're old fashioned or not, whether they make sense to me or not. Like he made it all. So he probably knows more than me. And that's hard sometimes because what that is, that's called submitting. Not my will, but yours. Even in that, it admits that there's like, we have a different will than he has, right? Right. I don't really want what you want, but that's a me problem, not a you problem. Yeah. It's hard. Now, I, don't, I don't like the fact, I'm not comfortable with go evangelize. I don't even know what that looks like. never seen it. Actually, every time we see evangelism, I think it's pretty much done wrong. Because it's usually some guy on a stage who has no relationship with anybody off the stage. Comes in, drops the gospel, and to the next town. There's no engagement. Evangelism looks a whole lot more like, um, hey, what are you doing for dinner? Let's go eat. Evangelism, by the way, is not a trick where we come in with a script and we just read it. I believe it's a flow of natural conversation. We are talking about the one that we love. How are you today? It's crazy. We like roll our eyes when people do it. I'm blessed. Right? Do you? Like if you're at the cash register and you're like, I just want a burger, dude. Shut up. I don't care how you really are. And he's like, I'm blessed. You're like, Oh my God, Christian. You know, like <laughs> okay, maybe I'm the only one, I'm a bad person. Um, <laughs> But maybe that's the beginning to okay, why? Why are you blessed? You say that every single stinking time and it's annoying the heck out of me. Why are you blessed? Oh, let me tell you why I'm blessed. What is that? That's like the on-ramp to a conversation about Jesus. Let me give you another on ramp. How are you today? I'm horrible. This is a horrible day. But it's gonna be okay. I'm gonna get through it. Why are you oh, how, how do you Dude, look at your day. It sucks. How are you going to get through it? Because God's good. Man, look what you're going through. How is God good? God doesn't change because I'm going through something. God is the same always. God did this. He died for me. A little discomfort doesn't change anything about who he is. You don't have to lie (laughs) to start a conversation about the gospel. Every conversation is a conversation about the gospel If you love and want to talk about Jesus, that's called evangelism. Evangelism is more about a relationship with a person than it is about a script that you read. And if you love something, you talk about it, don't you? I know some of you guys well enough to know what you love because you talk about it. If somebody knows you well enough to know what you love, they should know you love Jesus. Amen, hallelujah, say it again, Brad, yes. It's just true. And it's not easy, and it's weird. It's going to feel weird the first time. Like if I walk up to Anthony Canada, and I'm like, hey, bro, let's go lunch and talk about Jesus. Like, that's going to be weird the first time. Like, And he's saved. Like, he knows Jesus. It's still going to be weird. But you talk about what you love. And he looks at him, and he's just like, people aren't going to want to hear it. They don't care about it. They, they're going to reject you. They're going to be like, you're dumb, holy roller, Bible thumper. But you shouldn't quit. you got to keep going, because this is what God has called you to fulfill your ministry. And we look at that, and we're like, man, what does that have to do with me? Right? This is a letter written to Timothy. What does that have to do with me? Here's what it's got to do with you. God has given you a ministry, if you know him. It doesn't mean he called you to be a pastor it doesn't mean he called you to be a teacher. It doesn't mean that he called you to be a instrumentalist. It doesn't mean that he called you to be a greeter. I don't know what your ministry is. It doesn't mean that he called you to start a prison ministry. It doesn't mean any of that. It just means he's given you a ministry. He's called all of us into a ministry. That's just the reality of this thing. When God saves you, he doesn't save you to sit in a chair and come to church and just wonder if this is it forever. Ephesians 2 writes it this way. We were dead in our sins and trespasses, but God made us alive through Christ Jesus, the Messiah, and he saved us for these good works, which he prepared ahead of time. And I don't know everything that looks like for you, but I know at least a part of it, a piece of it today is to share the gospel. It doesn't matter if you're comfortable with it. It doesn't matter what you know about it. It doesn't doesn't really matter. You know enough today if you know Jesus to get somebody to Jesus because you've been there. But what if they ask me questions about how he created the universe? It's simple. Man, I have no idea, but I know how he saved me. What if they ask you questions about the Trinity? I don't know how to explain the Trinity. Man, I got no idea, but I'm going to figure out when I get to heaven because he saved me. The only thing you got to be certain about to get somebody to Jesus today is that you've been to Jesus. The only thing you got to know for sure today to get somebody to Jesus is like, I know where Jesus is because he has saved me. See, nobody can take that away from you, right? I don't believe that. Well, now I'm a jerk. You look at me and you say, I know Jesus. I'm certain about it. And somebody hits you back with, I don't believe that. I think you're a liar. Well, <laughs> Let them leave the conversation a jerk if that's how it wants to go. But they can't take that away from you. They can argue you to death. There's people out there that do not believe in Jesus that know the Bible more than any of us in this room. Because with itching ears, we can learn a lot about Jesus, but never come to know Jesus. See, you've been there. You've experienced him and nobody can steal that from you today. And you know enough today to get anybody where you've been. It's the reality today. And he says to him and to us, it's going to be hard. It's going to be a struggle. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be weird. It's going to be, but none of that's an excuse. You you got to keep going. You got to push forward. There's there's something bigger at stake here. See, you're not accountable when you leave this room to me. You're not accountable to Paul. You're, You're not accountable today to some church, some name, some band, something. You're not accountable to Christianity or some denomination. It's bigger than that. God is saying today, you've heard it. you've heard it. What are you going to do with it? You know, today, what are you, going to do with it? You you know, the information, are you ever going to act on the information standing before God and Jesus today in the room, go make disciples, go tell people the gospel, go share the message. And God's saying, okay, what are you going to do with it? I don't have to like it. I don't have to agree with it. I don't have to love the idea. I don't have to be specifically gifted for it. I just have to say, God, you created everything. And it may be weird, but I'm not going to argue with you. He writes this after that to Timothy, and I, I love the perspective, so I'm just going to read it really quick. He says, in 6, I'm, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. My life's over, man. It's already happening. The time of my departure is, is close. I'm about to leave this place. And he writes this, and I wonder if we could all say this at the end. I fought the good fight. In that, right? It's a fight. You're gonna get beat up and bruised. It's gonna be hard. I fought the good fight. It was a fight, but it was a good fight. I walked away with bruises, but it was it was worth it, is what he's saying. I fought the good fight. He says, I've run the race. I've, I've ran the race. I've, I've ran towards Jesus. I've kept the goal in mind. I've pursued him. I've, I've, I've run the race. And he says, and I've kept the faith. I never, I never quit believing. And in the future, this is what he's writing here at the end. He's, he's writing, in the future, there is reserved for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge will give me on that day. And not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. This is the perspective he writes from. He's like, man, I'm at the end of my life. I've been stoned. I've been jailed. I've, I've been beaten. I've been mocked. I've been run out of towns. The horrible things have happened to me. But standing here. At the end, I can say I am ready to go. I'm not looking back over my life and thinking, I wish I would have done this. And I wish I would have done that. And I wish I would have got here. And I wish I would have. He's like, I'm not thinking about I wish I would have retired better or went on this vacation one more time. He's not thinking about all these regrets that he has. He's like, man, I have done what God has called me to do. I have fought the fight. I have put up my fists and I've took the blows. and I've given the blows. I've went through the thing and I've got the bruises. I've run the race and I'm worn out and I'm now at the finish line. But I want you to know it's over timothy and it was worth it man Can you imagine that like i'm about to be killed for my faith But i'm writing to another guy and i'm like, you know what you just keep going until they kill you because it's worth it. It is worth it. Standing here, I'm about to go and I'm about to see God and I'm going to see him and my heart is going to be clear. I'm going to be like, man, I did what you had for me. I did what you asked me to do. I don't have regrets standing here in front of the throne because you gave me a mission and you laid it on my back and I completed the mission. Mission complete. Here I am and I'm ready. I'm saying, Timothy, you just submit today. Timothy, you give in to God today. You you say, "Not my will today, but Yours be done." I know it's going to be hard, and I'm not going to be here, and you're going to see me leave this place in a not desirable way. But I want you to know, man, it is worth it, and I got no regrets. You come with me. You come with me. I think that's what God's saying to us today. It's going to be hard. People aren't going to listen. They're not going to care. You're going to get rejected. You're going to get laughed at. People are going to call you names praise God that's not the praise God there's nothing worse for us share the gospel live a life that chases after God and when you get to the end of it you're not going to regret a thing is what he's saying live a life that's sold out to God surrendered to God and when you get to the end you're not going to be thinking of all these things you wish you would have done you're going to be standing in awe of what God has done in you that's what he's saying and when you stand before God He's going to say, welcome home and well done, my good and faithful servant. And I just wonder today how many of us want to hear that when we leave this place? How many of us want to see our Savior? Say, welcome home. And our Father say, "Well done. Not nice try. Not you missed it. But well done." Kind of say today, nobody wanders into that. Nobody stumbles into that. That's a decision that we make. He doesn't say, "Well done." You went to church. He says, "Well, good. Well done. Good and faithful." servant the only way there is to lock our eyes on that and run when it hurts, run when it's hard, run when it doesn't make sense and that starts with surrender